0: Hey, thanks for checking out this message from LifeGate Church. We hope that God uses this message to encourage you and to help you live in the freedom and purpose that Jesus has for your life.
1: We want to welcome those online. Thank you for joining us on our Good Friday service. Grab a seat. It's great to see people. Say hello to people. It's great for me to be back. i will be in Cambodia doing uh, mission work with Transform. And then last week I had the, had the runs. But let me tell you, I'm all good. I'm all good. There's nothing to be concerned about. Huh? That's all right. <laughs> ah. Yeah, whatever. Hey, welcome to Good Friday, everyone. As it's been said before, this is one of the most pivotal, the, the pivotal, pivotal, days, pivotal? pivotal days in the history of the world. I think the resurrection is the most important day. But the, but the death has got to be number two. Hey, it's the day we remember what Jesus has done for us through his death. Thank you for coming and celebrating with me and our family, Jesus and God the Father and the Holy Spirit, that before the world was created, before, before God, the Godhead decided to create, no, before the Godhead did create us, it was decided beforehand that, that God the Son would give his life for us, even before He created. It's part of God's plan. It is right at the center, the pivotal moment in history, the death and resurrection of Jesus. It's through His death that our sin is forgiven. Our relationship with God is restored. We can have eternal life. Amen? Amen. Hey, we, we just want to tell you what's happening this weekend. Um, a few announcements. as two. The first one is our Easter egg hunt, plural. So tomorrow at, on Saturday at Preston's, Saturday at Preston's, McLeod's Park, we're doing a big Easter egg hunt. and then on Sunday we're doing it here Sunday at 10 o'clock. So we have our nine o'clock service. We have our 10:30 service right in the middle during morning tea. We're heading across the road for all our kids in Easter egg hunt. Our Preston's egg hunt had so much um, had so much what was it? interest, that's a good word. I went and bought another $500 worth of eggs yesterday because I thought we, we, um, we uh, might need them. So it's going to be great. So that's the first thing. And the second announcement is our Easter services here on Easter Sunday. Two services, 9, 10, 30, um, morning tea in the middle. And there's online as well for those who are watching online. Great to have you guys here. Hey, we're blessed to have our, our service pastor, Con Michael, bringing the word today. I'm super excited about this. Con doesn't speak. Come up, brother. Con doesn't speak very much. I ask him many times. I'm
0: I'm up here every Sunday.
1: I know, but this is a a special time. Let's pray for Con as he brings the word. Father, we want to thank you for this mighty man. Thank you for what you've done in his life. And we thank you for his heart, for you, God, and particularly the death and the resurrection of Jesus. That is the most important event in Con's life. Mm-hmm. and we father we pray that you would give That's him all good. that he needs yes, to bring lord. this message yes, father lord. open our hearts and minds to hear from you today yes, bring lord. transformation to our lives in jesus name yes lord amen thank you brother let's Come welcome con everyone let's thank welcome him
0: so we get started have you guys oh you've got it in your back pocket nathan we were looking for that christy it's all good thank you for checking that for me good morning everyone good morning it's really good to be here it is my privilege this morning that I get to speak to you about a story that has literally stood the test of time. People have been persecuted over this message. People have been jailed over this message. People have even died defending the truth that is, uh, that is set before us today. It is the culmination of God's stories in the Bible coming together to bring forth God's grand story, His redemptive work of salvation to the world through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who on this Easter Friday... Just a couple of thousand years ago, God gave his life for us. Jesus Christ went to the cross, was crucified and died in our place for our sins. Maybe you're here this morning and you haven't quite received this message. Maybe you're here and you don't even identify with any religion, but you come just as a thing to do here on Good Friday. But you've set out your own terms of what it looks like to enter into the kingdom of God. I want to say that this message is here for you this morning as well. The passage that I'm going to use to unpack this truth before us today comes from Matthew chapter seven verses 13 through to 14, And I've titled it "Enter by the narrow gate." If you have your Bible, please turn to Matthew 7:13 through to 14. I do have it up on the screen so that we can read it together. It says this: "Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction." And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it, a few. Just a little bit of background to this passage here in Matthew 7. It comes off the back of the famous scriptures known as the Sermon of the Mount. This is where Jesus walks away from the crowds. He takes his closest disciples up the mountain and he begins to preach to them. It is by far Jesus' longest recorded message on how to live a godly life. And he teaches on subjects such as prayer, justice, care for the needy, handling the religious law, divorce, fasting, judgment, and much, much more. But right at the end of this Sermon of the Mount, Jesus makes two very distinct contrasts. He says there are two paths, two ways that you can choose to go in life. And he says one way leads to life. Which means going to heaven, which means to be saved. And the other, he says, leads to destruction, going to hell, not being saved. Let's have a look at these two contrasts. First, he says, the gates wide and narrow. He says, there are two ways, broad and narrow. He says, there are two destinies, destruction and life. He says there are two difficulties, easy and hard. He says there are two crowds, many and few. He says there are two types of morality, disobedience and obedience. Now, it's easy to read this message and think, oh, there's two gates. And the narrow gate that leads to life is all the people that hear the words of Jesus and do them. And the wide gate that leads to destruction is all the people that hear the words of Jesus and don't do them. They're the sinners, they're the evildoers, they're the drunkards, they're the sexually immoral, they're the murderers, they're the thieves, and the list goes on. You would think that that is what Jesus is talking about here, but I want to to submit to you this morning that that is not what Jesus is saying. Remember what I said about the audience that Jesus was speaking to? It was to the Jewish community. And the Jewish community had very strict laws in which they were to live by. They had a very strong moral code in which they were to live by. In fact, in the Old Testament, they're given 613 laws in which they were to obey. So outwardly, they were morally at the best. They were the most obedient. They'd done the best of things in life. But, huge but, this was the problem. The Jews had been using the law, their self-righteousness, as their way to enter into the presence of God. In other words, they were coming to God, but what they could do for Him. Self-righteous people are people that are striving to get right with God. Let me say that again. Self-righteous people are people that are striving to get right with God. So, the Sermon on the Mount is not just simply a bunch of rules to follow, but ultimately it was intended to destroy the confidence of the Jews and their false form of religion which they used and taught in order to be counted worthy of God. But in this passage, friends, Jesus wanted to lead them to the truth that was in himself. Now, both these paths promise heaven, right? The Jews had their way in which they promised heaven, and Jesus had his way in which he promised heaven. I mean, nobody is selling hell here, right? Unless you're going to the chicken chicken shop and buying those devil wings. You know, those deep fried chicken wings that you can buy. Anybody else love chicken wings? I am such a fan of deep-fried chicken wings. I love them. But do you ever wonder why they don't call them hot and spicy Jesus wings? <laughs> Every time I see them, I always think of it. But that's because society has a false understanding of who's in control of hell. Make no mistake this morning, Jesus is Lord of heaven, he's the Lord of the earth, and he is the Lord of hell. Hell was created for Satan and demons, and he gets to adjust just how spicy hell is. <laughs> now, both of these... Passages can't be true, right? One has to be true and one has to be false. Now, Con, how could it be that there are only two, two choices in the world that we can make when what we see is multiple religions heading down multiple paths in order to reach the kingdom? Well, I want to submit to you that there are really only two religions in the world. One of them being by what you do for God. It's known as human achievement. All of the religions, apart from Christianity, fall into this category. Human achievement is about this. It's about being a good person, giving your tithes and offerings, doing the right thing, going through the religious rituals, attending church services, even singing a few songs on Sunday, maybe even saying a few prayers at night before you and, you and God. Friends, I want to submit this to you this morning. If you are here and you have said yes to Jesus, but you are still striving to earn your salvation before God, then by definition, you are self-righteous. And if you don't identify with any religion, but you are striving to get right with God as well, then by definition, you are religious. Con, what are you saying? What I'm saying is that both religion and self-righteousness are the same thing. Did you get that this morning? That both religion and self-righteousness are the same thing. So what human achievement is really saying is that, is there some kind of... oh well, I didn't flick through these. Human achievement this morning is saying that there's some kind of moral scale on the inside of us. That on one side of that moral scale, there's all the good things that we do, and on the other side, there's all these bad things that we do. And depending on which side of the scale your life tips when you die, that will determine the destination that you are heading towards. Let me get a little bit of crowd participation this morning. If you were to believe... That God would take you to heaven based on the good things that you would do. What are some of the things that you think God would like for you to do? Just shout them out. What are some things that you think God would like for you to do for him to take you to heaven? What would they be? Love your neighbor. neighbor. That's a good one. Jesus tells us to do that. What else? Worship through song. That's another thing to do. Help the poor. poor. Absolutely. That's, That's a great thing to do. Anything else? going to church on the weekend. That seems like a nice thing to do. I'll put a few things down myself. How about honoring your parents? Giving to charity as we've seen. Being a good parent, that's important. We need to love our kids, look after our kids. Being encouraging, kind, nice to people. Putting all your recyclables in the yellow bin. Some people are pretty serious about that, looking after the planet. And even helping the little old lady across the street, You know, just helping those that are in need. And what the moral scale is saying, well, I've looked at all the things that I did good this week, but what about all the things that I didn't do, such as I haven't swore at anyone, I haven't stolen any pens from work, that is stealing, even if it's just a paperclip. I haven't littered any rubbish. I didn't gossip about my boss behind his back. And so you have this reality check Hey, I'm not doing too bad. So you've gone, I've done this, I've done that. I haven't done this, I haven't done that. It's been a great day. It's been a great week. This is awesome. If I was to die tomorrow, maybe get hit by a car, a little dramatic, I know. But if something was to happen to me, then God and I are good, right? We're doing okay. He's going to take me to heaven. But then there's those weeks. Mm -hmm. Anybody feel them at times? Then there's those seasons, potentially even those days where things just get a little out of control, where everything that you've done in the preceding weeks is completely the opposite. You weren't nice to your parents. You missed your tithes and offerings. You yelled and screamed at your kids. You get to the end of the day. It's a hard working week. Your kids have been losing out. You look at the recyclables and the rubbish and you just bring them all together and you toss it in the red bin. I've had enough of this. How about this one? You drop a couple of bombs in the car behind slow drivers. Oh my goodness. Anybody else feel my pain? You know, I believe the left-hand side of the lane should be 20 kilometers above the speed limit minimum if you're going to be driving on the road. I don't know what it is about me, but I can have people cutting in front of me. I can have people swerving, go through a stop sign, and I'm absolutely fine. But when I'm sitting 80 behind a driver that should be doing 100 on the highway, I'm, I'm like that little red guy in that animation, you know, uh, inside out where he just starts seeing red. And, and you know that moment, like, you've got to drive around him. You're like, who is driving? Who is, even Are they asleep in the car? Like... What's going on? You're trying to look them down, and you just got this angry face on you. Anyway, I go home and repent of all my sins after I'm driving in the car on Sydney roads. It's terrible. you told the tax man to get stuffed. He's always taking your hard-earned money, a little bit of that cash on the side. It's coming up in a couple of months, tax return. And you tell everybody what a J-E-R-K your boss has been lately you reevaluate your life and you think oh my goodness i've stuffed it i'm not doing so good today i'm not doing so good this week this month has been absolutely terrible it is it is hell for me i am i am not right with god And you know, you're stuck in this manic of being up and down and in and out, feeling good, feeling bad, and it's absolutely exhausting. It's stressful. It's anxiety. You can feel the pressure of having to live up to the standards of God, having to live up to the standards of yourself, and even having to live up to the standards of those around you. Friends, don't raise your hands, but how many of you feel like this? How many of you feel the pressure of having to live up to the law? Here's what I'm saying This self-righteousness, this type of religion is what Jesus is talking about in the passage. It's the wide gate. It's the broad path. It's the easy way. It's the many, and it is disobedience to the gospel that leads to destruction. Now, let's unpack this passage in Matthew 7, verses 13 through to 14 just a little bit here. Let's go through it. Here's the first thing that I want to say of what we see, what Jesus says. He says, for the gate is Wide. So, why is it wide? Well, have you ever heard the saying that all roads lead to Rome? Well, that comes from the Roman Empire. What they literally did was is build highways that connected all the surrounding cities around them. So, if you were, no matter what city you were in, or even if you got lost, if you found your way onto one of these highways, you could always make your way back to Rome. It's a little bit like our highway systems. We've got the M1, we've got the M2, we've got the M4, we've got the M5. And they connect all the surrounding cities, such as Liverpool, such as Parramatta, even out to the central coast. But ultimately, they all come back into the central CBD. But what people, when people are using this saying, is it's a spiritual example. And what they are saying is that there are multiple ways to God. You do it your way, you do it that way, I do it my way. There's those religions that do it like this, they do it like that. But ultimately, they all head down into the same path, the same destination, which leads to God and it leads to heaven. Well, does it? Is that the way? Let's see what Jesus has to say about that. Second, Jesus says, for the gate is narrow. Why is it narrow? Friends, it's narrow because there is only one way. There isn't multiple ways that lead to heaven, but there is only one way. John chapter 14, verse 6 says, I am the way. The truth and the life, nobody comes to the Father except by me. There is only one way. Why is it narrow? Number two, friends, there is only one door that you must enter through. There isn't many doors, there is only one door that you must enter. John chapter 10, verses 9 says, Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And here in John chapter 10 is the same language that he uses in Matthew chapter 7 by entering in. And this is my third point. Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate. Friends, you must enter. You must enter. The true way to heaven, Jesus makes absolutely and abundantly clear that you must enter by the narrow gate, which is him. Friends, it is not enough just to look at Jesus. It is not enough just to admire him. It is not enough just to study Him. It is not enough just to analyze Him. It is not enough to just critique Him or even be impressed with Him. It's not enough to be a good person. It's not enough to give to charity. It's not enough to just do the right thing every single day. It's not enough just to say your prayers. It's not enough just to give of your tithes and offerings every Sunday. It's not enough just to come to church and to sing the songs It's not enough to even have some kind of magical, wonderful, mystical experience on a Sunday that feels all good and happy. And I even want to say it's not enough to put all these things together. Jesus makes it clear, he says, to enter through him and through him alone. Therefore, Christianity is not about a religion, but it is about a person and the works of Jesus Christ. Let's look at Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through to 15. It says this And you who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. There's three things that happen here when you believe in Christ Jesus. First, he takes you from death to life. That you were spiritually dead, that you were cut off of a relationship with God. But when you trust in Christ and you enter through that narrow gate, he makes you alive with him. He reconnects your relationship back with him. He puts his Holy Spirit on you and you are spiritually made alive in him. The next thing he says is that having forgiven us all our trespasses. So you're saying, I don't have to pay God back? No. Because in Christ, He forgives you of all your trespasses. How does He do that? By cancelling the record of debt that stood against you with its legal demands. Can you see how different that is to the moral scale? The moral scale has this this continuing to load up of all the bad things that have been done. And it clings so closely to the good works. And you're forever having to to run from them. There's anxiety that it's going to catch up to you. But Jesus says that when you trust in me, He cancels it. That the blood of Christ washes you clean. You are made alive in him, you are forgiven by him, and he cleanses you of all unrighteousness. The third thing that Jesus says here is this. The way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. So what's the easy path that leads to destruction? It's just following the crowds. It's just going with the masses. Well, everybody else is doing it. Then it must be true. I don't want to offend anyone. I don't want to upset anyone. I don't want anybody to reject me. So I'm just going to stay on the broad path that leads down the wide gates. Well, fourth, Jesus says this, "For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life." Friends, why is it hard that Jesus talks about here? Let's look at Matthew chapter 10 verses 34 through to 36. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have come to bring peace but a sword. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Friends, the sword here is the metaphor for dividing those that believe in Jesus and those that don't believe in Jesus. what he is ultimately getting at here is that the love of God and his kingdom must take precedence over every every human relationship. And the reality is that people won't like you for it. People will persecute you even right down to your own family. Now, what Jesus is saying here He's not saying that when you believe in Jesus and you come to Him, that you just reject everyone, that you just cut everybody off. That's not what he's saying. But what he's saying is that when you trust in Him, when you hold the truth of His message in your life and you try to live a godly life after Him, you will be persecuted, it says. You will be cut off. But even those potentially that are closest to you. Have a look at this passage in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. It says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life Not just a good life, a godly life in yourself. No, a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You know, I found this passage fascinating because when I think about trying to do good and trying to live a good life, You're trying to have a life that has the least amount of resistance, right? You want to have the least amount of persecution. You know, you love people and you encourage people and you want to do good at your work, you want to do good in relationships and you want to have the least amount of persecution. But when you follow Christ, it says that you will have persecution. Can you see why Jesus says that it is so hard to enter by that narrow gate? And here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that if you come to Christ and that he forgives all your sins, that you get to do whatever you want. Actually, it's quite the opposite. God calls us to the highest of standards, to the highest of living. But we don't don't do good works to earn our righteousness before a holy and just God. But rather, we do good works from our righteousness through Christ Jesus. Can you see that? So we don't do our good works to earn our right standing, to earn our right passage with God, but rather we work from that. We do good works from our righteousness God. Let me explain this from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, which is an absolutely beautiful and majestic passage. It says this, God made him, that is Jesus, who had no sin. So Christ was without sin. He never sinned to be sin. That means that on the cross of Jesus, he took all your sins... And it was put on him, the Father took all his, your sins and put them on Jesus Christ. For who? For him? No, it was for you and I, because we're the ones that have wronged God. We're the ones that have sinned God. Why? So that, therefore, that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. Friends, at the cross of Jesus, there is this beautiful exchange that happens. What we saw earlier in Colossians is that God makes us alive, God forgives us of our sins, and God cleanses us of all unrighteousness. Now, the only way that I can explain what that looks like when I'm trying to think about it in my head, have you ever seen those video clips where there is is Jesus, which is a clear cup, then there is a cup which is sin, that's dirty, and then there's you, that is clean. And when you pour the dirty cup into you, the sins, you become dirty, and then when you take the cup of Jesus, you pour it into you and then it becomes clean. Have you ever seen those videos And that it cleanses cleanses, cleanses and cleanses you? Well, God takes it one step further. He doesn't just leave you cleansed, right? He doesn't just leave you cleansed. But in this verse, God takes it one step. but He gives you all of Christ's righteousness. So when God sees you, He not only sees a sinless child, but that he not only sees a sinless child, but one that has done all that Christ has achieved for us. Amen. In Christ, you get all of his perfection, Amen. you get all of his goodness, yeah. you get all of his obedience, and you get all of his righteousness. So God sees you as he sees Christ. Amen. Continuing on with this, lastly, it's hard because you have to lay down your life, take up your cross. And follow Jesus. There is this self-denial that needs to happen. There is this laying down of your life. And one of the hardest things that you can do is repent of your self-righteousness. It's laying down what you think is your right to have to pay God back, to earn God's forgiveness. It's laying down of your pride. Friends, repentance means to have a change of mind. The Greek word for that is metanoia. It means to have a change of mind that results in a change of action. And in this situation, it's changing your mind to understand that I can't earn my salvation with God through my righteousness. But hear this now. But rather trust that what Christ has done on the cross is sufficient for your salvation. Just rest in that this morning. That what Christ has done on the cross is sufficient for your salvation. Let me just say something a little controversy, controversial here. Have you ever heard of the term of eternal salvation? Meaning, can you or can you not lose your salvation? And I know this is a little bit challenging because some people believe that you can lose your salvation, but I believe here this morning that you can't. And here are two sayings that cannot coexist. You cannot believe that Jesus has forgiven your sins of the past, present, and future, but that you still need to continue to do good works in order to get right with God. Those two truths cannot exist because one is motivated by fear and pride, and the other one is motivated by grace. Friends, it is possible this morning that you feel this anxiety because these two sayings are butting up against each other. These two sayings are clashing. And I'm in God is going to set some of you free this morning. I'm believing God is going to break those chains that are held against you this morning. I believe God is going to lift the burden of the law off your shoulders. And I want to show it through a passage, an absolutely wonderful passage, in John chapter 10, verses 27 through uh, through to 30. That says this, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life. Let me just pause there. With just these few lines that I've read, this is the affectionist call of the gospel. This is the moment of regeneration. This is the moment of salvation. This is the moment where you pass from death to life. Let me just talk to the Christians here. Before you became a Christian, do you know what you were? You were a sheep. You weren't a goat. You were a sheep. But you were a lost sheep. And you were just... Wandering around with your head down, grazing, and then you heard this voice. You heard the call of Jesus, because it says he, my sheep know my voice. You heard the call, and you popped your head up, and what did you see? You see Jesus, and he's calling you by name. It says, I know them. Jesus is calling you by name, and then you go to him. It says, and they follow me. You go to Jesus. And look at the very next verse in 28. I give them eternal life. You pass from death to life at that moment when you hear the gospel and you go towards Jesus. And it says, they will never perish. How can Jesus say this with so much confidence? Because look at the next verse. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. It is as if when you hear the call of Jesus and you walk towards him that he he takes you in the palm of his hand and as if that wasn't enough for eternal salvation but it is as if that wasn't enough that Jesus Christ is holding you in his hand look at the next verse it says my father who has given them to me let me just pause there again do you know that you are a gift from the father to the son did you know that that in eternity past God the father gave you to the son and then he says, the father is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. Are we, are we, is anybody hearing this this morning? It is as if the son has his hand around you and the father's hand wraps his son around the father's hand. And friends, you are never getting out of that. You can never walk out of that. The question is not whether you can lose your salvation, but whether or not God can lose his lost, a lost sheep. God cannot lose his child. But I understand that it's hard to put your faith and trust in the salvation work of Jesus Christ, that it is sufficient for you. Because it's everything that our society tells us in life and how we're to live. We study to, to earn the right to a job. We work hard to earn the right to money. We respect, love, and encourage those around us to earn the right in our relationships. We bring our resume, as you would say, to every area of our life and say that we are worthy of what we are asking for. The truth is, or rather, why should it be any different with God? The truth is that our works before the Lord are nothing more than polluted garments. Isaiah chapter 64 verse 6 says this, We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds, as our word, are like polluted garments before the Lord. Let me bring this home with the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. How are we doing this morning? We're doing okay. We're almost there. We're almost done. That's just me trying to get your attention. We've got plenty more to go. (laughs) Anyway, let's look at Luke 8. Oops, that's Isaiah. Luke 18, rather, verses 9 through to 14. Let me bring this home for you. The writer of this book starts off in verse 9. He says, He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves, that they were righteous, And treated others with contempt. So he's about to tell this parable to people that trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. See, that's what self righteousness does. That's what religious does. It looks down on the other person, it looks down on the sinner. Hey, I'm better than you. I do better than you. Look at all the things that I do. It's pride. And Jesus says, Two men went into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed this God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. He comes this, this moral pendulum, this scale that I was talking about. He's about to tell us all the things that he doesn't do. Thank you that I'm not like these other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. And tax collector, at that time, we understood they overtaxed their own people. It was like they were stealing money from their own people. And they were absolutely hated. They were the worst of the worst. And now he's about to tell us all the things that he does do. He says, I fast twice a week and I give tithes of all that I get. Look at me. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes. Whereabouts are we here? I will, here we go. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast. saying, God, be merciful on me. I am a sinner. You know, there's something just. When you, when you come before a holy and just God, the perfection of Jesus, you can't help but just bow your head and not even raise your eyes to the king because you know how sinful you are and how much wrong you get. Jesus says, I tell you that this man went down to his house justified. Rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself would be humbled and the one who humbles himself would be exalted. If you bring your self-righteousness to God, God will humble you because he says that God opposes, opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. But the tax collector couldn't even look up to God. He just brought him his sin, just said, God, I'm a sinner. Have mercy on me. Friends, this morning, Jesus is saying, give me your sin and I will give you my righteousness. Jesus is saying this morning, give me your sin and I will give you forgiveness. Jesus is saying, give me your sin and I will give you life. I will cleanse you. I will make you holy. Jesus is saying, give me your sin and I will give you justification. Jesus is saying, give me your sin and I will give you adoption. Jesus is saying, give me your sin and I will give you belonging. Jesus is saying, give me your sin and I will give you freedom. I've had 30 minutes to Preach the gospel this morning. And hopefully I've shared it with a bunch of stories in between all this. But I just want to finish with the gospel straight up and bring all of this together. Friends, you and I have sinned and done wrong against a holy and just God. And the wages for our sin is death. Romans chapter 6 verse 23 says, And the wrath of God abides upon you and me for our wrongdoing. But Jesus Christ came down from heaven, entered into human history. And on a number of occasions, he declared to be God. And to prove that he was God, he'd done signs and wonders and miracles to the audience that could not dispute the things that he was doing to prove that he was God. And almost 2,000 years ago, on this day, on Good Friday, Jesus went to the cross. He suffered and died in our place for our sins, for my sins, for your sins, for the sins of the world. For our transgressions and for our iniquities is what we read in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5. And whoever believes in him will have eternal life is what we see in John chapter 3, verse 16. Friends, Jesus gave his life for you and for me. He took the punishment of our sins so that you wouldn't have to. And friends, that is entering through the narrow gate. That is on the path that only very few. Find. That is the path that leads to life. And this morning, you need to come to Jesus alone. You need to make that decision. If you're a youth here or somebody young, you need to understand that your parents cannot make that decision for you. You need to know that your friends that have invited you cannot make that decision for you. Maybe you've been coming to church a long time and you need to know that Pastor Nathan cannot make that decision for you. You need to make that decision for yourself. And when you do, Romans chapter 8 verses 1 says, For therefore there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. That the guilt that you feel for trying to have to live up to God no longer has to be around. I'm going to call the worship band up and the prayer team. And we're going to worship Jesus now by taking communion. And we're going to worship by singing a few songs. Communion is for those that have believed in this message, for those that have trusted in Jesus for the salvation of their sins. Communion is the biscuit that represents the broken body of the Lord Jesus. And the cup that has the wine in it represents his bloodshed for us on the cross. It is remembering what he has done. I'm going to pray. You're going to take communion and we're going to worship. Amen. Father God, thank you so much. You know, thank you not enough, but Lord, it is all we have. We thank you for your son and and what he did. And we thank you for you for giving your son, Lord God, and that you have taken all of our iniquities and all our sins and broken all our chains. Lord God, you have lifted the law off our shoulders that clings so closely to us. God, I'm believing this morning that chains have been broken, that weight has been lifted, that people can stop striving to to earn their righteousness, to earn their right standing with you. The Lord God, that they can trust in what you have done on the cross is sufficient for their salvation. And they can rest knowing that they can never fall out of the tight grip of the son's hand and the father's hand. And they can live without the anxiety and the stress in their world of having to live up for you. But that they can live for you through that and from that. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Please come. Thanks so much for checking out this message. LifeGate Church has people meeting in person and online in many different locations and we'd love to help you get connected. My name's Andrew and I lead our online team here at LifeGate Church and it's our job to do exactly that. We'd love to help you find community, get support and prayer and take your next step. So why don't you connect with us and take your next step at lifegate.org.au and click the next step button.